Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the Word of God. I ask that you will help me this evening to minister what you would have me to say to your people, to your church tonight from your Word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I've been blessed, you know, uh, in studying the last few weeks, well, the last month or so, actually, because this will be the fifth, the fifth message on the Sermon on the Mount on these Beatitudes. And, um, man, I've been blessed by this. I've been learning things. You know, you think you know stuff, and then you get to digging into it, and you get to reading, you get to, to uh, just studying uh, the text itself, and you find out, you know, I didn't know that. <laughs> and so uh, I'm learning as well. And so um, I hope that you are too. But I've been excited about it because, you know, Jesus is giving here the, what we have, what we have, titled the the blueprint uh, the blueprint for happiness because the word blessed that is used some nine times in this uh, passage of scripture uh, speaks of happiness it speaks of uh, of being being envied those who are to be envied or those who are happy those who are fortunate those who are blessed and so what Jesus is saying here in these beatitudes he actually is giving the precept the precepts here for holy conduct he's telling us he's giving these to his disciples so he's telling us how we are supposed to live our life and what our lives should look like and this is a kindly this is a, a plumb line or a, a gauge for us to gauge ourselves and these attributes that he talks about here should be a part of every one of our lives but in these these precepts he gives us there there are that this is a prescription and I guess you could call these beatitudes a prescription for happiness or as I've said a blueprint for happiness but these these prescriptions for happiness uh, as I have already said, are very different from those of the world. Because we know that God's way of attaining happiness and God's way of attaining anything that is good is absolutely diametrically opposed to that of the world. How the world thinks, uh, you know, what the world thinks that, that they need to do to be happy is totally different than what the Word of God teaches us to be happy. But there's one thing for sure. If we follow the Scriptures, if we pattern our life after the Word of God, if, number one, first of all, we're saved and we're born again, and then we pattern our life after the Word of God, after the Scriptures, we're going we're gonna to find happiness in life. Do you, do you agree with that? Joy and happiness is, you know, that is uh, part of, of living for God. It's fruit of the Spirit, joy is. And so these Beatitudes give us that, that happiness and that, that the life that it shows us to live causes us to be happy and fruitful in our walk with the Lord. So Jesus here 
is teaching what, what really matters, what really matters in our life is what is on the inside and in the heart of a person. That's so important, you know, and uh, uh, that our heart is right. So many times people try to straighten up the outside, clean up the outside, but the inside is not dealt with. That was the problem that the Pharisees had, wasn't it? Jesus even told them that. He said, you know what y'all do? Boy, he was a preacher, wasn't he? He just told it to them like it was, and he told the Pharisees, he said, you all clean and wash the outside of the platter, but on the inside you've got it dirty. He said, you're like, um, uh, like whited sepulchers or graves. He said, on the outside, you look beautiful, but on the inside is full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness and filthiness. So, you know, that's, that's, what, that's the way those Pharisees were. On the outside, they looked wonderful, but on the inside, they were corrupt. And so, Jesus is telling us and teaching us that, that it's what What's on the inside? It's what's in the heart of an individual that really matters. And our righteousness, you know, true righteousness is in the heart. It comes through the new birth. But true righteousness in the heart will produce fruit of right actions and right conduct in our life. See, a Christian is something before he or she does something. I said a Christian is something before they do something. Amen? And our lives are to be dictated by the Holy Spirit. We've dealt with that uh, in our Sunday messages the last uh, several weeks on spiritual growth and adding to our faith. But the Holy Spirit is to dictate our lives. And we are also to dictate our lives and our walk by the principles of the Word of God. And so the first four Beatitudes that we have talked about and that we've covered here were, were um, you know, inner principles. They're dealing with how you see yourself before God. But this fifth beatitude or this fifth attitude brings, brings to reach, bring, begins, causes us to begin to reach out to others. It's actually the fruit. Here when we see, when we see in this fifth beatitude, we begin to see the fruit of the first four beatitudes. And just remember, you know, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So this is, this is the... Um, uh, the order of these beatitudes, and they they um, they 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 fall into a uh, a particular order. They are progressive. So we see ourselves first of all poor in spirit, as a sinner away from the Lord, and we mourn over our condition. Then we get saved, amen. And we become, we become a meek and teachable, submissive person. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then as we are submissive and humble before the Lord and have that teachableness, we have a new hunger and thirst for God and a hunger and first thirst for the things of God. And that's what we talked about last week. Blessed is, is, are those who hunger and thirst after God, after righteousness, for they shall be filled. But then we become, when we have that hunger and thirst to begin to draw closer and closer to the Lord, then we become a person of mercy and are merciful and compassionate toward others.
Now, this, is, this, this beatitude is going to get us all tonight, all right? But is that okay? Amen? But, but we become an individual then, a Christian, a believer that is merciful to others. And because, and here's the deal, because you and I have experienced God's mercy in our life, then we are to extend that mercy that we've received to other people. Isn't that right? We're to extend that to others. So what does it mean? What is mercy? He said blessed there in verse number 7. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. That word merciful is the Greek word that means to be concerned about other people in their need. To be sympathetic and uh, a good synonymous word to mercy is compassion. Or to have compassion toward others. It means to have a pity for those who are in need regardless of, of, of the merit of that individual. Because when it comes to mercy, and we need to get a hold of this tonight, when it comes to mercy and grace and showing mercy and grace, or both, uh, you know, mercy and grace does not involve merit. In other words, what, what I'm saying is this, you don't do anything to deserve the grace of God, nor do you do, or nor can you do anything to deserve the mercy of God. Mercy and grace are unmerited. Amen. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. Grace, you know, we, we've said it and so many times. People have ga- given the definition for grace as being unmerited favor. But it is the goodness of God. Grace is the goodness of God that is, a, that is extended to undeserving man. Amen. So we can't earn that. Well, mercy is the same way. But mercy involves more than just having an attitude of pity. It's more than just feeling sorry for somebody because of the condition they're in. But mercy also includes action. So mercy, and one writer gave this definition, and I like this, so I put it down in my notes, but mercy is compassion in action. Mercy gets involved, and it involves the readiness to give help to somebody who is in need. Mercy not only feels the pity or the compassion for somebody. And if you, you know, you, you and I that are that are saved tonight, that we should have the compassion of the Lord. How many times do we read in the scriptures in the New Testament, the ministry of Jesus, that he was moved with compassion? I know we hear people teach and we hear people say that Jesus performed miracles and he healed the sick and he opened blinded eyes and he did all of those things of healing people to prove who he was and to prove he was the son of God. And those miracles and healings did prove he, who he was. By, by all means, it proved who he was. But that wasn't the motive behind it. When you read the scriptures, you'll find that he was moved with compassion. It was compassion that moved him to cleanse the lepers and to 
opened the eyes of the blind. And do you know Jesus is still moved with that same compassion tonight for those who are hurting, for those who are suffering, for those who are in need. He has compassion. And he wants us, you and I, as believers, to have that same compassion for those who are suffering, those who are hurting, those who are in need. We need to be merciful just as Jesus is merciful. Amen? How many times you read in the Scriptures where, where those who came to Jesus for healing said, Jesus, I think of Bartimaeus, you know, right off the top of my head, but, but there was others as well. There were some blind men and others uh, that, that said, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Amen. And what did he give them? He gave them healing. He extended his mercy and he gave them healing. Albert Barnes in, in his commentary says that, uh, that the merciful are those who are so affected by the suffering of others as to be disposed to alleviate that suffering. And that's what Jesus did. He was so moved with compassion on the suffering of humanity that it moved him to extend mercy and to do what he could do to alleviate the cause of their suffering. And everywhere Jesus went, he alleviated, he did away with what was causing them to suffer. Amen. I think about that widow of Nain. You know that she was a widow, only one son. Her son had died. They're on their way. They're in the funeral procession. They're carrying the boy to the graveyard. They don't even know Jesus. Notice Jesus coming into the city. But Jesus saw that woman. He saw her weeping and he stopped the funeral procession. He looked at that mother and he said, woman, weep not. Now when Jesus tells you to stop weeping. He's just not telling you, hey, dry, you know how your mom used to do? She'd whip you and amen, get you balling. Then she'd say, you dry those tears up right now. You stop that crying right now or I'll give you something to cry about. Well, you already did. Or he did that. Amen. But he's not just telling her, you know, stop weeping or stop crying. Shut up. Don't cry. I don't want to hear it. No, he's telling her weep not because when Jesus tells you to weep not, he's getting ready to take away the reason and the cause for the weeping. He's moved with compassion and extends his mercy to alleviate the problem, alleviate the situation that's causing the problem. Problem. Merciful and being merciful implies generosity and forgiveness and compassion. See, mercy and grace are together many times in the Bible, but they are not exactly the same. Mercy and grace are very close, but they're not exactly the same. See, mercy pities us, but grace pardons us. In mercy, I do not get what I deserve. You know what, what we deserve? Uh, I deserve judgment. I deserve hell. I deserved, you know, and don't ever say, well, you know, I didn't deserve this or that. You know, we all deserved. Uh, we were lost sinners, and we all deserve judgment and hell. But thank God in God's mercy, I don't get what I do deserve, which is hell and judgment. And with God's grace, though, then in His grace, I 
do get what I don't deserve, which is heaven, which is joy, which is gladness, which is blessing. Every good gift and perfect gift that comes from the Father, none of us earned it, none of us merit it, but grace gives us what we do not deserve. Thank God for His mercy and His grace. Amen? See, God removes the sin from our life. He removes the sin by grace. That's what grace does. It removes the sin and mercy eliminates the punishment. Amen? So the more Christ-like that an individual is or a person is, the more merciful they will be. Is everybody listening? The more like Jesus that we become, the more mercy we will show. On the other hand, (laughs) the more carnal that we are, the more harsh and critical we will be. Boy, it's going to get quiet now. so. So those who are merciful are individuals that care about people, care about others, and want to help others. Merciful people realize that because they receive mercy from God, and this is the whole, this is the whole premise of it right here, what Jesus is talking about, that merciful people realize this, because I have been shown God's mercy, and He's been so merciful to me, And he didn't give me what I deserve, but he gave me what I didn't deserve. Forgiveness and cleansing, and he's helped me, and he's answered my prayer. Because of his great mercy in my life, then I want to extend mercy to somebody else and help somebody else along the way. Are you you following what I'm saying? Amen. Extending that mercy to others. See, James... James said in chapter 2 of his epistle in verse 15, James said that if a a brother or sister, now notice that, a brother or sister, we talked about brotherly love on Sunday, so this is somebody that's in the family of God. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, just, well, I, I feel for you, just go on, maybe the Lord will help you. I'll be praying the Lord will help you. You go ahead and depart in peace, be warmed and filled. You know, go down to the stoplight down here. Somebody may give you some some offering. Amen. But you do not give them the things that are needed for the body. He said, what does it profit? So in other words, James is saying just to say, well, you know, God bless you. I know you're in need, but don't do something to help them. What does it profit them? Mercy extends the help to alleviate the need and the situation. John said in 1 John 3, 17, that whosoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart uh, of compassion from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So when we see brothers and sisters in Christ that are in, are in need in their life, that, and we just turn our back on them and say, well, we're not going to help you, you know, where, where's the love of God in that? And that's what... That's That's what um, 
John was saying there. Amen. So thank God for the mercy that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many is glad for his mercy tonight? Mercy that we do not deserve, but it's freely given. I, I read a story this week about uh, Napoleon and the French army. When the French army, they were very ruthless and, uh, you know, they didn't put up with a lot from people, uh, soldiers that were disobedient and whatever. But uh, the French army at one point were ready to execute one particular disobedient soldier. And the soldier's mother was a widow. This was her only son. And so the, the mom comes to Napoleon. And she's seeking Napoleon to pardon her son. And Napoleon said to, uh, you know, to the mom, said, well, this young man has committed a certain offense on two different occasions. And, the, and justice demands his death. And the mother goes to him and the mother explains to him. And she said, well, sir, she said, I'm not asking for justice, but I'm pleading for mercy. And so Napoleon's response to her plea was this, and he said, uh, Madam, your son does not deserve mercy. And then the mother cried out to him and said, Sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. And Napoleon's heart was touched, and he said, Well, then I will have mercy. So he spared his son. And see, that's what mercy does. It's not that we deserved anything for God, but we have been given mercy through Jesus Christ, mercy that is freely given, that we do not deserve when we seek His forgiveness. Amen. I'm glad for His mercy. I'm going to tell you, if it was not for His mercy, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. Neither would any of you be sitting here tonight because there was plenty of opportunities that Satan had to take you out before you came to Jesus but thank God his mercy endureth forever and he had mercy on our life even when we did not deserve it he loved us can I get an amen tonight praise God but he says this Jesus said blessed happy fortunate to be envied are the merciful for what for they shall obtain mercy. So here he's saying that you show mercy because you have received mercy. And those who are not merciful, we wonder, you know, well, if you're not going to be merciful to others, we wonder if they know anything about the mercy of God themselves. And James again said in James 2.13 that judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Now, that's kind of a scary statement to me. That if judgment is going to be given, in other words, if we don't show mercy to others, God won't show mercy to us. I mean, He's with me. 
That's what makes this so very important that we see this. That is a scary thought. James is saying that you will have judgment with no mercy if you show no mercy. So the more mercy we show to others, the more mercy we will get from God. He said in Psalm 18.25, the psalmist said that with the merciful, here's what David said to the Lord in a prayer. He said, Lord, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. Amen? You remember what Jesus said, and we'll get into this in the the Lord's Prayer in a few weeks when we get over into Matthew chapter 6. And that part of the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus gives the what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. It's a pattern for prayer that we can use in our prayer time. But Jesus made a statement and said something at the end of that teaching on the Lord's Prayer. In, in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15, Jesus said this. He said that we are, if we want to be forgiven... We have to forgive. And we all know that, but we need to be reminded of that. If you want God to forgive you, you need to forgive others. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, This is another scary statement. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So can you see how important it is for us to extend mercy and for us to extend grace and for us to extend forgiveness? Well, they don't deserve to be forgiven, Brother Ricky. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know what they caused me to go through. No, I don't know. But Jesus does know. And here's the thing. It matters not what it is you are responsible to forgive those who have done you wrong. Amen? We've got to be merciful, compassionate, and forgiving. Not harsh, not critical, not judgmental. And if we will be merciful, if we will be forgiving and compassionate, then you and I will receive forgiveness from the Lord, and we will be shown mercy. Can I get an amen? See, when we ask God for mercy, that's the thing. He will open the door wide. And the door of blessing and His grace and His mercy will be poured out on us. Amen. Praise God. He is a merciful God and He wants you and I to be merciful to help and encourage and forgive and to love one another. How many is with me now? Amen. So He said, blessed are the merciful for they will obtain mercy. So I need God's mercy. So I've got to show God's mercy, okay? I don't want judgment without mercy. I don't want to be like, you know, before Napoleon and he said, I don't care. I ain't giving no mercy to nobody. I, because he's not been merciful, I want to show mercy and have the mercy of God in my life. But then in verse number 8, I told you last week we was going to do two this week. Amen. If we can do two this week, two next week, we'll be done with the Beatitudes and we'll be moving along. Amen. To the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The pure in heart, verse 8, he said, blessed, this is the, the sixth Beatitude, blessed are the pure 
in heart, for they shall see God. So a happy person, a blessed person, is a person with a pure heart. Amen? And when the Bible speaks of purity of heart, when he's talking about a pure heart, he's talking about, our, he's talking about and speaking about our entire being. What does that word pure mean? That word pure there is the Greek word that means to be clean, to be pure, clear, unsoiled, unalloyed, to cleanse from filth and impurity, to be free from the defilement of sin. And so this Greek word that Jesus used here for pure was a word that was used in biblical times for metals that had been refined. And you know how they would refine silver, gold, or those precious metals? They would put them in a, in a um, crucible, and they would put them in the fire and get the fire really hot, and they would melt down that, um, that gold or that silver until all of the impurities and the dross would float to the top, and then they would be able to skim that off. And so it was, it was until that silver was pure, or they thought it was, they had all of the impurities out. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so they used that word pure, and it meant that, that, that it was refined, and all the impurities from those metals was removed, leaving only that pure metal, that pure silver. Somebody said one time, and I've mentioned this before, they asked a silversmith, you know, as he was, as he was refining the silver, and he was skimming the dross off of the silver, and uh, heating it up until it was it was molten and that dross was floating to the top and he was skimming it off and, he, and they asked him said how do you know when it's pure enough how do you know when you've got all the impurities out of it and he said when it's when all of the impurities are out and I can see my reflection I know that it's pure amen well when Jesus when we can see the reflection of the master of the silversmith in our lives We'll know that he is getting all the impurities out of us and we have a pure heart and a pure life. Amen. So, in, this, in that particular sense, what purity here means is that it's unmixed, it's unalloyed, and it's unadulterated. Amen. It has nothing that is in there that will defile. And now the Greek word also then, the pure in heart. What's the word for heart? The Greek word, interestingly enough, the Greek word here for heart is the word cardia. Can you, uh, isn't that something? Amen. We get the English word cardiac, cardio, cardiovascular, you know, a, a, a cardiologist, a, a EKG, in the middle of the K stands for cardiogram. Amen. So um, this is what we get the, where we get these words from. So the heart, here he's talking about, the heart is that Jesus is referring to. Of course, when they're talking about cardiac and um, cardiovascular and all that, they're talking about the heart in your body the, the, um, that pumps blood throughout your body, all right? That organ that pumps blood. We've got to have the heart. The heart is very important. But when Jesus is referring to the heart and when the Scriptures most all the time 
when the scriptures are referring to the heart, they're not talking about the organ that pumps blood, but they're talking about the real you. They're talking about the innermost being of that man or that woman. Amen? It's the center. It's the spiritual heart, not the physical heart, but it's the center of man's being. The heart is the fount from which everything flows. Amen. It's your inner man, praise God, made up of your spirit and your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and your spirit, man. So, um, he's talking about that innermost being. Everything flows from our heart. Proverbs 4 and 3, and I was reading these verses this morning in Proverbs chapter 4 and just got a blessing again all over those last few verses of Proverbs 4. But he says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So all of the issues of life come from the heart. That's why the heart's got to be clean. Are you with me? That's why the heart's got to be dealt with. And the heart's got to be pure. That's why just dressing up the outside won't do any good if the heart is not made pure. Are you with me tonight? Amen. So that that's the, 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 um, that's the issue here. That's what Jesus is dealing with. A heart problem. It was a heart problem that caused God to destroy the earth with a flood in Noah's day. Do you realize that? The Bible says that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that, the, that every intent and the thoughts of the heart of man was only evil continually. And, and so all of the evil that was in the world was because the heart of those individuals, the heart of man had become so evil. The, the psalmist Asaph wrote in Psalm 73:1, and he says, Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17 and 9 that the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it's from the heart. That's where Jesus said from the heart that, it's, that evil ways and evil de- deeds begin and spring from the heart and from the mind. Amen. He said it's from the heart. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said it's from the heart come adulteries and fornications and evil thoughts and, and, and uh, you know all of these evil things and he listed things there that would damn the soul and he said they come forth from the heart it's from the inner man and God has always now listen to me tonight God has always been concerned above everything else with the inside of man and the condition of the heart of man and woman that's what we started talking about at the beginning of this how important it is to deal with the inside of us. Amen? To get the inner man straightened out and the inner man right. Because that inner man, Peter called him the, the hidden man of the heart. That is the real you. You are spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. You're a, you're a triune being. You're not just flesh. This body is a house that you live in. Amen. These eyes are the windows that you look out of. Amen. And this is 
business your old house that you're living in and mine's getting a little old and run down but praise God it ain't going to be long I'm going to get it traded in for a brand new one can I get an amen Hallelujah. Well, it's, it's, it's the real you. The real person is the spirit man. And Jesus is dealing with the heart and saying this is where that purity has to begin. And where purity has to uh, reside is in the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. And so that's why God is always concerned with the inside of man. With the condition of our heart. It's the inner man. It's the core of our being. And that's That's where God in that inner man requires purity. And that's what Jesus said. The pure in heart are the morally pure. Those who are morally pure and honest and sincere and people of integrity. And have a a single-minded commitment to God. Purity in heart is purity of emotion. It's purity of logic. It's purity of our will. It means that purity is permeating our life. And again, what was, what was it that he said purity was? It means to be clean and clear and unsoiled and cleansed from all filth and impurity. So that's the way our heart, that's the condition our heart has to be in. Amen? Pure in heart. So a pure heart is a heart that is not distracted by the things of the world, but is single-minded upon the things of God, and a heart that is without hypocrisy. I got everybody all excited now, didn't I? The pure in heart. So those, now get this, those individuals who are truly, who truly belong to God, who are truly born again, will be motivated to purity, to keeping their heart pure, to keeping their, mm, to keeping their life pure, to keeping their relationships pure. Jesus is talking about purity and it being on the inside and permeating our entire life. Jesus said in the last verse of this fifth chapter that you are to be perfect. I mentioned this verse a couple of weeks ago. He said, be you perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's God's standard. Purity and perfection And there isn't any way that you and I can measure up to that in and of ourselves. Amen? One hundred. Here's the standard. Here's God's standard. One hundred percent purity of heart. That's God's requirement and standard. Well, Brother Rick, that's going to leave us out. You know, it's kind of like, you know, kind of like ivory soap, you know. I mean, all, all soap is pure. You use soap to wash with to get the dirt off. But all soap is not like ivory soap. 
And ivory soap is still not 100% pure. It's only 99 and 44 one hundredths percent pure. So there's still something in ivory that's not completely pure. But God's not. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I'm about to have a spell. God's not telling us you just need to be 99 and 44 one hundredths pure. If you can just get up to the ivory soap class, you'll be all right. But no, God is saying, no, here's the standard is perfection. And God gave the law in the Old Testament, the law of Moses, and it was by the law that man, you know, he saw the standard of God. He saw what he had to live up to. He saw what he had to be, and uh, there was no way that he could do it. There's no way that he could live it. There's no way that he could come up to that perfection or to that standard. Amen. But see, we cannot be fully pleasing to the Lord until we are as pure as he is pure. This is God's standard. What did he say? He said it in the Old Testament, and Peter reiterated it in the New Testament. He said, be ye holy even as I am holy. In other words, he's saying, you got to be like me. You got to be, you got to be, reach that place. You got to have that place of perfection. Brother Rick, you're, you're telling me to do something that I can't do. I thought you said there were no perfect Christians and we are not perfect in our lifestyle or in our walk, however you want to say it. But there is a purity in our heart. And this is what Jesus is dealing with here is the heart. Of, of getting the heart pure and keeping the heart pure. Of our position in Jesus Christ. Of having a purity of heart. Clean, squeaky clean. Better than ivory soap clean on the inside. Can I get an amen somebody? Hallelujah. We are to be holy as He is holy and perfect as He is perfect and only those who are pure in heart, he said, are going to enter into God's kingdom. He said in Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? It's he that has clean hands and a pure heart. See, there's all kinds. Ladies and gentlemen, you know there's all the religions, all the different denominations, all the different churches, all the different religions that are in the world today. And there is not one religion or one church that can make somebody pure. Are you hearing me? There's not one that can do that. You can't make yourself pure by just doing certain things. The only true way to purity is for God to implant His purity in your spirit Himself. The only way to purity, the only way to have a pure heart is for God to make your heart pure and he makes your heart pure through your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. I tell you what can wash away your sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make you whiter than snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Come let us reason together saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow and Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. How are you going to get a pure heart? By joining the church, by getting baptized, by, by, by going through some religious ritual. No, you can't get pure that way. But finding a place and kneeling down before the
the Lord and saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and letting his precious holy blood cleanse you from every filthy stain. Oh, thank God for that fountain that's filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins that sinners plunge beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. I'm pure tonight because the blood of the Lamb has been applied to my heart and my life and he has washed me from my sins by his own blood. Somebody needs to praise the Lord for that tonight. Hallelujah to God. Man, I'm telling you, that's the only, the only way, the only road, the only path to purity. It's God's imputed, implanted purity. It's Him making your heart pure. Amen. You can't cleanse yourself. You have to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And so God grants absolute purity to the new creature in Christ, we become partakers of a new nature, His divine nature, according to 2 Peter 1.4. Every believer is a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things pass away and all things become new. That is your position in Christ. Amen? When you, when you came, you know, when I, I just had a spiritual birthday here a few days ago. It was on March 25th, Sunday, March 25th, 1973. I walked that aisle at that Pentecostal church at 1012 South Ellis Street, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Knelt down at that altar. Knelt down a dirty, rotten sinner. Knelt down defiled and unclean and got up pure in heart. Pure in heart, pure in heart by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's your position in Christ when you make Him the Lord of your life is you are made pure. And because of your positional purity, then we also have a practical purity. And you know what that means, don't you? That that purity that's on the inside, that holiness, holiness and purity are synonymous, that holiness that's on the inside is to be a part of our lifestyle and our living. I don't have time for these churches and preachers and these groups out here today that are beer drinkers and doing all that they're doing and, and adultery and sleeping around and fornicating and carrying their Bible and going to church every Sunday morning and saying, hey, 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 I'm going to shout the praises of God on Sunday and live like the devil Monday through Saturday. I ain't got time for none of that mess because when you come to Jesus, you're made pure in heart and that purity on the inside shows up on the outside there's a practical there's a positional holiness and there's a practical holiness that the holiness in you walks out in your lifestyle can I get an amen well, Brother Rick, you ain't going to get none of these young people preaching like that. They get born again, want to live for Jesus. They'll come where the truth's being preached. Amen? And we're going to keep preaching the truth right around here. Is that all right? Woo! Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If purity's not in our living, 
then we're either not saved or we're just walking in disobedience to the Lord and to the Word. But God always provides for us what He demands. Can I say that again? I'm about, I'm about out of time, so I'm about to close. God always provides for us what He demands. So when He demands purity, when He demands holiness, He's provided a way for us to live purely. Let me give you real quickly, and you can jot these down. How, how can I have this purity? How can I live this pure life? The first thing is our faith. Our faith must remain. It must, it must be anchored in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, in what Jesus did at the cross. And so many Christians still don't understand the cross. We've got a cross, new cross out here. It's beautiful. But when we're preaching about the cross, we're not talking about that wooden beam. We're talking about what took place on that wooden beam and what Jesus did there when he died. And Romans 6, 6 and 7 says, knowing this, here's something you've got to know as a believer, ladies and gentlemen. This is what you've got to know. This is the key to victory. He said, knowing this. He said, this is not something you can just fluff off. You've got to know this, that our old man was crucified with him, with Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has has been freed from sin. In other words, the power of the sin nature has been broken on your life, off of your life. You were baptized into Christ, and when you were, what he did at the cross became effective in your life. When he died, your old man died. When he was crucified, you were crucified. The old Ricky was crucified and died when Jesus died. And we were raised to walk in this life. So that's where your faith must remain. Number two, you've got to stay in the Word of God. I'm talking about how to live out this pure life. You've been made pure on the inside. How do you live it out? Number two, you've got to stay in the Word of God. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 3, You are clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. You want to be clean? Let, get, get a good bath in this every day. Come on, somebody. Get up in the morning and get in this book and let it wash you. Paul said that, we're, that we as the bride of Christ are being washed with the water of the Word. Hallelujah. How shall a young man cleanse his way, the psalmist said? By, by, by getting into the Word of God. By the precepts in the Word of God. David said, your Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So get Get in the Word of God and be cleansed by the Word of God. Number three, yield to and be controlled by and walk in the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And we've dealt with that in our Sunday morning sessions. But you've got to walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to, to control your flesh and your desires at that the sinful nature has no has no control in your life and number four you got to have a prayer life I said you need a prayer life come on somebody Jesus told those sleepy disciples that couldn't stay awake and pray he said you need to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak amen see the great blessing of those who are 
are pure in heart is that they will pray, they will walk in the Word, they will, they will have a faith that is anchored in the finished work of Christ in His precious blood. And, the, and, and if you mess up, let me change that. When you mess up, Amen. John said, I write these things to you, little children, that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, if he cleanses you again, then you're pure again. Somebody needs to say amen. I said, then you're pure again. You say, staying pure in that precious flow of the blood of Jesus. The blessing to those who are pure in heart is, Jesus said what? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. <clears throat> Woo. So in other words, if you're not pure in heart, you're not going to see God. Paul said, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Amen. This has got to be the greatest reward of all. Of all of the Beatitudes. The climax of rewards. And I know that it deals with some things here, and, and we don't have time to get into it, but the pure in heart will know God more intimately. They will know Him for who He really is. That's true. They will see God as He really truly is when they're pure in heart. We know that in this life. But the ultimate is, the greatest reward of all, the climax of it all, is to see God. That's the greatest privilege and honor that anyone can have. The greatest reward of all of the beatitude rewards. That there's coming a day, ladies and gentlemen, when we are going to experience the ultimate purity. We're going to experience a day when we are going to have all that sin nature is going to be gone. The corruption will put on incorruption. Mortality will put on immortality. The perfected purity that we will have when we are glorified in His presence. John said, Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. Like who? Like Jesus. We'll be like Him for we'll see Him as He is. There's coming a day when we will have ultimate purity. When we will be pure spirit, soul, mind, and body. Somebody needs to say amen. We're going to have a body like His glorified body. It will be a body just like the body of Jesus that will never be able to sin again. That will never be a temptation again. There will never be a sickness in that body. There will never be a pain in that body. There will never be an arthritis 
Titus in that body. Amen. Arthur is gone forever. Come on, somebody. There will be no more COVID. There will be no more flu. There will be no more cancer attaching itself to that body because it will be a body, an immortal, glorified, eternal body just like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has right now. Woo! That is what's going to take place at the resurrection. And we have that promise of the resurrection. And blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who walk in that purity. Blessed are those who have the blood of Jesus applied to their life. Because one of these days very soon we shall see God and be in the very presence of our Lord and Savior. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Woo! Hallelujah! We'll see him as he is. Oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. And David said it this way, and I'll close with this last scripture in Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. And I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Whew, man, that's shouting ground. Man, you think we have some good times now and feel the presence of God and all that? I can't imagine. I can't imagine neither can you what it's going to feel like in that, in that moment and twinkling of an eye. When that trumpet sounds, amen, and just boom, at the, at the, at the twinkling of an eye, that's, that's even quicker than the blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye, when that takes place and this mortal puts on immortality and we're changed into his image and likeness, into that glorified body. You, you think you're going to have some, uh, uh, some joy bumps? Think you're going to feel good? Praise God. Oh, man. Woo, hallelujah. And we're caught up to be with the Lord in the air. And we stand before that throne of Almighty God. That's where we'll assemble there in that throne room. We've seen it in Revelation 5. And we'll assemble there in that throne room and see God on His throne. Why? Because we've made Jesus Christ His Son, our Lord. And His blood has made us pure in heart and the pure in heart shall see God amen let's lift our hands and thank him for that Lord we love you tonight